You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com All right, friends, welcome back to the broadcast. Welcome to Corbett Report Radio here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, as always, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, joining you from the sunny climes of Western Japan. And tonight on the line, we are going to be traveling all the way to the western side of the United States, where we're going to be talking to a couple of people who are working on a thorny issue that is weighing on the minds of those of Portland, Oregon, including our good friend James Envolato of MediaMonarchy.com. And this is a story that is now making national waves. Uh, it was even recently covered in the New York Times, which had a story, Doubts as Portland Weighs Fluoride and its civic values. Yes, that's right. We have one of the last major cities in the U.S. that does not currently fluoridate its water supply, thinking of doing exactly that. So tonight, to talk about this issue and what's involved, we're going to be talking to a couple of guests. On the line, we have Dr. Paul Conant of the Fluoride Action Network at fluoridealert.org. We're also going to be talking to Kimberly Kaminsky of the Oregon Citizens for Safe Drinking Water organization. So let's bring them up on the line First, uh, Dr. Conant, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, thank you, James. Uh, good to talk to you again. Yes, it's great to have you here again. And for listeners out there who don't know, we have talked a couple of times in the past. So you can go to CorbettReport.com and just search the archives for Dr. Conant's name, and you'll be able to find some of our previous conversations about the practice of water fluoridation. And let's see, do we have Kimberly Kaminsky on the line? Yes, good evening. Good evening. Thank you for joining us tonight. It's great to have you here. So, Kim, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about Oregon Citizens for Safe Drinking Water. Oregon Citizens for Safe Drinking Water is a nonprofit organization. We've been working for the past decade to prevent the mandatory fluoridation of Oregon's water at the statewide level. Um, Since 1999, there have been bills that have been introduced into the state legislature that would require all water districts that serve 10,000 or more people to fluoridate their drinking water. And we have been successful at preventing those efforts because the citizens of the state of Oregon do not want fluoridation. And um, so Clean Water Portland has been an effort that has arisen out of the recent efforts by the city of Portland to push through this mandate um, at the citywide level to fluoridate Portland's drinking water supply. And so um, we have had a, a, a big uprising of citizens opposed to that effort. And um, it's been very encouraging because um, Oregonians have been pioneers in a number of ways. And um, we really honor and relish um, and respect the fact that we have some of the best drinking water in the world. That's right, and I think Portland does have a good reputation for people being concerned about these types of issues, so it's good to see people stepping up to the plate here on this uh, very important issue where, unfortunately, it looks like uh, fluoridation is starting to uh, to gain momentum. So let's go to Dr. Conant. I understand that you are currently in Oregon. Yes, I'm in, in Portland, and it's a pretty shocking situation here, James, although I th- think they have overstepped. The people that are pushing uh, fluoridation here, um, spearheaded by a spin public relations operation and a lot of talks behind closed doors, the three commissioners out of five have made it very clear that they're going to vote 
to put fluoridation into the city, even though voters in the past have rejected fluoridation three times. So three people are unilaterally going to force fluoridation down the throats of the people in in Portland. But here's the good news. I think they have so overstepped and have so misjudged the anger of the people here that this could be the beginning of the end of fluoridation in the United States and elsewhere. Well, let's let's hope so. Let's leave it there. We're coming up against our first break, but let's take a short breather. We'll be right back talking about the Portland fluoride issue. In an emergency... Welcome back to the program, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Tonight we are talking to not one, but two guests. We have a, uh, a pl- plenty of guests to talk to tonight. We have Dr. Paul Conant on the line from the Fluoride Action Network at fluoridealert.org. We also have Kimberly Kaminsky, the Executive Director of Oregon Citizens for Safe Drinking Water. And tonight we're talking about the issue that Portland, Oregon is weighing right now, whether or not to fluoridate their water supply. And this is uh, something that's taking place at the citywide level. There's a debate happening right now as we speak. So a very important decision about to be made in Portland. And tonight we're going to be talking about what's going on there and how people can get involved. But Dr. Khan, just before the break, you were making a point about uh, how this might be an overstepping of the bounds and this might actually have a backlash effect and people around the country might once again get interested in this fluoride debate, as is evidenced by that recent uh, New York Times op-ed I was talking about. So let's talk about that aspect of this. Well, what what has been made very clear, not only here in Portland, but earlier in the week in Phoenix, Arizona, where I debated a leading dentist on this issue, and that's a pretty rare event. I've only debated three dentists in 16 years. They usually run for cover. But what is absolutely clear here in Portland is they do not have the science to persuade people that this is effective. They do not have the science to persuade us that it's safe. And so they've had to use different ways of getting it in. They've used an enormous public relations machine, what I christen the shock and awe tactic of overwhelming uh, overwhelming the population with new story after new story, all staged, all staged, 60 groups support fluoridation, editorial in the local newspaper, all it, one by one the candidates have all came, come out and made it clear that they're voting for fluoridation, three of them, and of the three that have voted for it, two are not running for, for re-election. So, um, and the fact that they that they have to use public relations spin, the fact that they don't have solid scientific arguments to the issues which are now coming thick and fast, you may have noticed, James, that uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a meta-analysis from Harvard University of all the IQ studies in China. They had They looked at 26... Uh, 27 IQ studies, and 26 of them showed a lowering of IQ, and when they applied a meta-analysis to this, they found that the average reduction in in IQ was 7 IQ points, and and statistically significant, and that what they did was to recommend more studies, because as I think you've heard from me before, they're just not doing the studies in, in the United States, Australia, or any of the other uh, fluoridated countries. 
All they do is to criticize the methodology of the studies that are finding harm in India and China and parts of Africa with high natural levels, uh, scream about the, the levels being high and not being relevant to the United States. But what they're not doing is using their, quote, superior knowledge of epidemiology to do their own studies in the United States, not attempting to repeat these serious findings uh, from from China. And I, I, a, I'd like to follow up on that. Um, I think um, for anyone that's interested in the fluoride issue here in Portland, I encourage you to go to cleanwaterportland.org. Um, we are looking at um, the city council moving on this issue Wednesday, and we are looking for volunteers. We're looking for financial support. Um, they have manufactured a so-called dental crisis, and they have used figures. The proponents of fluoridation have used figures where they're looking at nationwide statistics and applying that to Portland. But when you extrapolate those figures, you can see that Portland actually has some of the best teeth in the nation. So they've manufactured this dental crisis to propagate this policy. And the fact that Portland is one of the largest cities, if not the largest city in the United States, that remains unfluoridated, it is squarely in the crosshairs. And that is why they are targeting Portland. For a decade, they have been trying to pass fluoridation at the statewide level and have been unsuccessful. And all of a sudden, it's this dental crisis. And this has been behind the scenes. It's been behind closed doors, high-powered lobbyists. It is just, um, uh, it's, it's um, usurping it's the democratic it's process. It's unbelievable. I mean, there's one political operative here called Mark Wiener who's running, I think, four of the five campaigns. And this man is avidly pro-fluoridation. He's feeding the the lines to the stooges, these uh, public relations people. I mean, it's unbelievably cynical. And, And this is Portland, which is renowned for its progressive liberal attitudes and it's amazing that people are not yet storming uh, the balustrades here because it's ridiculous three people are going to force this stupid practice on people they can't defend it scientifically they can't defend it ethically um it it's it's unbelievable but as, as, as um Kimberly has said, it's a game for them. This is one of the last of the 50 largest cities uh, in America that's not fluoridated. And so they've, they've got to put that little green stamp on the, on the slot, fill up the jigsaw puzzle. And you know what the irony is? If I spent, James, the next 45 minutes going through all the famous cities in the world that are not fluoridated, I wouldn't be able to get it done before the end of the program. Oh, please spare it. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's exactly right, because um, it is such an uncommon practice in so much of the world, but has become such a staple in the United States, which is why it's uh, frightening to see Portland potentially going under. And as you've indicated, it's definitely not based on any scientific uh, principles. It's based on a political uh, scheme that's happening. So, Kimberly, can you give us a sense of who is really in charge of this? What's happening at the political level there? 
So, again, because we're one of the largest cities, we're in the crosshairs, and they have targeted us. And um, we have um, Mark Weiner, who's behind the political campaign, to, um, who, who has, by the way, elected the majority of the city council. And as Paul pointed out, we have Randy Leonard, who is the head of the Water Bureau, who is not running for re-election. We have Mayor Sam Adams, who is not running for re-election. We have Commissioner Nick Fish, who may or may not be running for re-election. I couldn't get a straight answer from him. Um, these are the three gentlemen who refused to meet with Oregon Citizens for Safe Drinking Water, um, Randy Leonard passed us off to David Schaff, who is the head of the Water Bureau, and now David Schaff is claiming that he doesn't have any decision-making power. Um, so uh, we really, these three men came out with the decision to support water fluoridation before there was any opportunity for the public to comment, before there was any opportunity for um, public hearings. And um, they they really made it sound like it was a done deal before the public had any opportunity to know. There was no notice and there was no opportunity to be heard. It is a blatant violation of due process. And I think what we're going to see here is the classic case of them winning the battle but losing the war. This will have ramifications throughout the United States and people will wake up and say, my goodness, um, how come they had to use such underhand, such undemocratic methods to force this in on the population? Not only will the people of Portland wake up and be appalled, but I think the rest of the United States. And then, then they realize that this whole practice, its due date is over, over, bye-bye. It, re- it belongs in a different century. I think Paul made a really interesting point in terms of, um, and this is this is something that disturbs me the most. Oregon w- Citizens for Safe Drinking Water, as a group and as a coalition, we have filed for an initiative process that will go on the ballot in May of 2014. And Randy Leonard the head of the Water Bureau, who's one of the city council members who is pushing this through, railroading this through, has said, we're going to start fluoridating in March of 2014, two months before it has the chance to go to the voters. So why the rush? Why the the sudden dental crisis? Why can't we let the people vote? The people of Portland have voted three times that we do not want fluoridation. And now all of a sudden he is forcing this to an issue. He's forcing this to start flowing through the pipes of March of 2014, two months before it should go to the voters. There, There is a $5 million contract on the table for an engineering company to put the infrastructure in place. Why can't he wait two months? Why the, central, the sudden dental crisis? What, what's going on? behind the scenes what is going on with the timing there is something that is just not right with with all of this and 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 to be clear on that timing you're talking about uh wednesday will be the deciding date for this yeah yep this wednesday so very very soon so we're we're going to find out very quickly one way or another and and what is the sense at this point it's leaning towards this is likely to happen oh they've made it very clear these three uh commissioners 
had made it absolutely clear that they're going to vote for this. I mean, you listen to them um, speak on television, on radio. They are going for this. They they couldn't care less what the people are saying. You know, I got a, a whiff this morning, James, of the um, public relations operative on, on, a, on a radio program. And she had already, this person had already intimated the local paper that I was a fearmonger. Now, James, you, I think you've read my book, The Case Against Fluoride, which I wrote with two other scientists. This was understated, not overstated. Every single fact that we argued, um, we backed up with 80 pages of references to the scientific literature. But she repeated this again on right. the radio. It's, it's not fear-mongering if you have the scientific evidence to back it up. Yeah. All right, we're coming up against another break. Let's take another short breather. We'll be right back. Sick of this damn noise, the paranoid android poised at the edge of the precipice. Sanity is gradually. All right, welcome back to the program, friends. You're tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight, we're going over the fluoridation issue in Portland, Oregon, as they are deciding whether or not to go ahead with adding this uh, toxic chemical to their water supply. And we're talking tonight to Dr. Paul Conant of the Fluoride Action Network at fluoridealert.org. We're also talking to Kimberly Kaminsky of the the Oregon Citizens for Safe Drinking Water, and you can find more information about this entire issue at cleanwaterportland.org. Dr. Conant, just before the break, you were making a point about someone accusing you of fear-mongering. Perhaps you can finish up with that story. Well, what was ironic is that it turns, she said, she turned around and said, my whole book was fear-mongering. She couldn't pick, point to a specific case, but the whole book was fear-mongering. And after the show, I found out that she hadn't actually read the book. So uh, that's pretty extraordinary. It's extraordinary on two fronts. One, to make the charge, which I'm sure everybody thought she'd read the book. And, and, and secondly, for someone who is, is spinning this, promoting this uh, in this city, wouldn't you think that she would have taken advantage of the fact that the opponents had put their whole case together between two covers and documented everything? I know if I was in, in a reverse position and I, and I was arguing the pro position, I'd make sure that I was completely on top of all the arguments that the other side had. But she obviously uh, felt so confident in her PR spin that she didn't feel that the facts were necessary. There is some good news here, um, James, some very good news. In the, in the dummy staged orchestrated public hearing a few days ago, September 6, one of the citizens here, a gentleman called Guy Wagner, who'd attended the fan conference in the summer of 2010, um, released a videotape that he had shot. It's long. It's two hours and 43 minutes. Wonderful title. An Inconvenient Tooth. An Inconvenient Tooth. And you can watch this. The listeners here can watch this online. An Inconvenient Tooth dot org, O-R-G. And there's some... A lot of interviews there. It needs editing, obviously. He had to do it in, in a rush, but he's got myself on there. He's got an activist from Philadelphia. He's got Peter Van Corlett, uh, um a, a fellow that instructs water engineers, water department people, on how to go about um, add, adding stuff to water. And he was once very much for fluoride. Now he's against it. There was um, Robert Fleming from Canada, uh, Albert Bergstahler, um, and a dentist, a wonderful dentist from, from Santa Cruz. And if anybody has any doubts 
about the legitimacy of our concerns, about the integrity of the people that are opposed to fluoridation. Just watch this videotape. If you need to, fast forward, but, but get a flavor of all the different people that are saying essentially the same thing. I used to think that fluoridation was a good idea, but when I read the science, I changed my mind. We have to beat fluoridation, one open mind and one community at a time. Absolutely. Well, that is an important message, and I hope people who haven't looked into the science behind this will do so. <coughs> but let's uh, let's go to the lines. Do we have uh, one caller waiting on the line? We have Danielle in Idaho. So, Danielle, thank you for joining us tonight. Danielle actually just dropped. Oh, sorry. We uh, don't have Danielle anymore. If uh, Danielle is out there, she can call back in. But anyways, let's let's move on. So uh, let's move back to... I wanted to make a comment about um, the fact that the, the city of Portland, uh, as a water service district, sells water to many um, outlying um, municipalities and um, water providers. And this decision was made before the city of Portland consulted with any of those water providers. So we have at least over a dozen, um, including surrounding communities of Gresham and Tualatin and Durham and West Slope Water District and many water districts, and they were never consulted about this decision. This was a story that was broke by the Oregonian, um, and... I think that there were a lot of water districts that were quite surprised by the fact that Portland was going to fluoridate its drinking water and they are under contract to purchase water, long-term contracts, without even consulting the people that are going to be purchasing the water and consulting the people that are going to be drinking the water. And that's true of... Um, you know, we have um, a very vibrant restaurant industry here. We have some of the best restaurants in the world. We have some of the best craft breweries in the world. This was all done behind the scenes, and no one was ever consulted about this. I find that a huge problem. It certainly is a deficit of democracy, which unfortunately we find time and time again when it comes to fluoridation. And often when people are given a choice, they vote to get it out, like uh, the people in my old hometown of Calgary did last year. So it is yep. it is something that, that, that does come up from time to time, and I think people have to insert themselves into this when they have the chance. So we're going to be talking more about how people can do that uh, after this break. So let's take a short breather. Once again, we're talking to Dr. Paul Conant and to Kimberly Kaminsky talking about the Portland water issue and more on this issue specifically can be found at cleanwaterportland.org. More on the uh, fluoride issue in general can be found at fluoridealert.org. So I hope people will go there and check it out. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back after these messages. One day in Manhattan Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. This is Corbett Report Radio here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're talking to Kimberly Kaminsky of Oregon Citizens for Safe Drinking Water and Dr. Paul Connett of the Fluoride Action Network. And once again, if you want more issue, more info on this issue specifically, you can go to cleanwaterportland.org, and all of those websites and names and addresses will be linked up in the show notes for tonight's episode at CorbettReport.com slash radio, which will be up there shortly after tonight's episode airs. So let's start talking more specifically about what it is that we're talking about when we talk about water fluoridation. This is something that I've talked about at some length with Dr. Conant and others on this program in the past. But uh, Kimberly, let's talk a little bit about um, what this really is, because I think some people have still have the mistaken notion that this is sodium fluoride, some sort of uh, scientific, medical, uh, precise laboratory deduced chemical that's being inserted into the water supply. And that's far from the truth. So let's talk about what is actually being put in the water supply. Well, I think that's a very important question. There's three chemicals that they use to put into our water for, to, quote, fluoridate. There's sodium fluorosilicate, there's sodium fluoride, and there's hydrofluosilicic acid. So these are not pharmaceutical-grade products. They are contaminated with lead and arsenic and other toxins. And they're not regulated, which I think is the main key here. It's super important that the fact that they're not regulated by the Food and Drug Administration because they're not approved for ingestion for the purposes of preventing dental caries. They're only regulated by the EPA as a contaminant and only if levels exceed four parts per million. Um, the manufacturers of these products, which is, this again, it's a byproduct of the phosphate fertilizer industry, um, they not only do not stand by the safety and efficacy of the products, but they specifically disclaim liability for these the harm that is caused by these products. So there is a serious lack of oversight by these chemicals that we're dumping into our drinking water. We can't put them in the ocean. We can't put them in the river. We can't put them in the landfill. We can't even dispose of them into the air. In fact, um, these products are, um, they're, they're byproducts of the, you know, when we, we can't dispose of them in the air, so we, put scrubbers onto the smokestacks and then we clean the smokestacks and that's the product that we truck into the drinking water system. And so um, there's a serious lack of accountability and that is something that really needs to be addressed. And if I may add something here, Kimberly rightly said that these are contaminated products. You not only have concerns about these untested uh, toxicologically uh, substances, these silicon fluorides, but they nearly always contain arsenic. Now think about that. Arsenic is a known human carcinogen. There is no safe level. So it's inevitable when you use these industrial-grade chemicals instead of pharmaceutical-grade chemicals to fluoridate, 
you are inevitably going to increase the cancer rates in the United States because of the number of people that are going to get exposed to arsenic. We can argue about how much the cancer risk is going to be increased, but you cannot argue that it won't be increased. And we're doing this to save a minuscule amount of tooth decay and a saving that can easily be achieved in a better way by brushing fluoridated toothpaste onto the teeth and, and spitting it out, because even the promoters of fluoridation now admit that fluoride's benefits, if there are any, are topical. It works on the outside of the tooth, not from inside the body. There's not a single biological process in the human body that needs fluoride. And so we can only do harm by swallowing it. Well, you don't drink sunscreen to prevent a sunburn, and you don't swallow (laughs) fluoride to prevent tooth decay. So I think that is a pretty basic argument to be made. And there's a lot to be said about the history of fluoridation and how it developed. And uh, Christopher Bryson and others have done some great work on that, so I hope people will look into it. But uh, let's talk a little bit more about some of those health effects that you you talk about there. Obviously, not only cancer, but there's a, a range of effects from from uh, bone effects to, to uh, lowering of IQ. Just, can you run down some of the systems that are affected by fluoridation, Dr. Connick? Yes, and before we get bogged down with too much science, let, let's start with some common sense. The first question that people should contemplate is that we've never, ever, ever used the water supply to deliver any other medication. We are not adding these chemicals to the water to treat the water. We're simply using the public water supply to deliver fluoride um, or some variation of it to a human being to fight tooth decay. Now, there's a very good reasons why you don't use the public water supply to deliver medicine. One is you can't control the dose. When you put it in there, the dose is dependent on how much water people drink. And, of course, some people drink a lot of water. Secondly, you can't control who gets it. It's going to go to babies. It's going to go to infants. It's going to go to uh, young people, old people. It's going to go to sick people. It's going to go to people with poor nutrition. It's going to go to people with poor kidney function who can't get rid of the fluoride. And finally, of course, you're forcing it on people without their informed consent to, to medication, which is a violation of medical ethics. So on a common sense level, fluoridation should never have begun. Now, one of the well, great... just a moment. Let me play devil's advocate. Of course, I yeah, do agree. Ahead. I do agree with you. But there will be the people out there who make the argument that, for example, we iodize salt in order to deliver iodine to people through their, their regularly consumed salt. And that's a, a form of what we're doing here with fluoridation. We're adding something to something that people are already consuming that will have beneficial effects, or so they argue. And what, where does that argument I, go wrong? It's a big... People have the option of buying non-iodized salt, first of all. And as Dr. Well, Conant, people have the option of buying bottled water. Well, water is a fundamental human right. Access to safe drinking water is a fundamental human right. We cook with it. We bathe with it. We wash our clothes in it. We water our gardens with it. We feed our pets. We feed our livestock. We it, it it we can't avoid we can't avoid drinking water. And so to say to just buy bottled water is a non-issue. It's not. It's 
it's laughable that that and I appreciate that you're playing devil's advocate, but access to clean drinking water is a fundamental human right. Number one. I would also add, James, that um, uh, as far as iodized salt is concerned, people have choice in the matter. They can, they can choose to, to use iodized salt or non-iodized salt. Um, here, as Kimberly pointed out, especially for families of low income, you can't choose. You've got to drink the water if you're, if you're low, low income. Another big difference is iodine is a known essential element. Fluoride is not an essential nutrient. It's not needed for anything in the body. And, and, and also for many, many nutrients, there's a wide margin of safety. But for fluoride, there's not a wide margin of safety between the dose which is supposed to do you some good and the dose which can cause you some harm. Let me give you a specific example. We mentioned that there are now 33 studies, in fact. Uh, Harvard looked at 27 of them, 33 studies which shows a lowering of IQ associated with fluoride exposure. One of those studies found that this lowering of IQ occurred at 1.9 parts per million. Now, a child in Portland drinking two liters of water a day at one part per million is going to get two milligrams of fluoride a day, whereas some of the, the children in that Chinese study who were drinking one liter of water at 1.9 parts per million, would have only got 1.9 milligrams per day. In other words, when we look at the dose in these studies which have found harm, we are seeing an overlap in the doses which cause harm in, uh, in China and other countries, and the dose which is supposed to be good for us in the United States. So there really is no comparison with additives to food which are known nutrients. So, James, I would like to add that we are getting fluoride from a number of sources. We get them through pharmaceuticals. We get them through pesticide residues. We get them through airborne emissions. We get them through dental products especially. And, um, you know, the bottom line is we don't know how much fluoride intake that we are all getting. How much fluoride intake are you getting? Um the number one exposure to fluoride is through drinking water. And when we look at the studies, we can argue about studies all day long. We can argue about statistics all day long. The bottom line is we need to err on the side of caution. We don't know. The National Academy of Science just issued a report in 2006 said, what are the effects on Alzheimer's disease? What are the effects on Down syndrome? What are the... We don't know. The bottom line is the studies in this country have not been done. The proponents of fluoridation will argue all day long that, oh, there's all these studies done in China, but there's, you know, they'll argue that there's flaws and so forth. But the bottom line is, why aren't these studies being done in this country? And I, again, I want to, I want to say that we need to err on the side of caution. There is enough evidence out there that fluoridation of drinking water, even at very low levels, is causing 
harm, especially to people with low thyroid function, especially with people with kidney disease, especially with people with diabetes. We, we need more studies, and to put this whole scale in the drinking water is not prudent and it's, it's negligent. You know, if they wanted to go about this scientifically, first of all, instead of quoting state or national statistics, they would have done a survey of tooth decay in Portland. They haven't done that. Secondly, we know that the original promoters of fluoridation said at one part per million, 10% of the children would get dental fluorosis in its very mild form. Okay, so if they wanted to be scientific about this, they would determine what percentage of children in Portland right now had dental fluorosis in any of its forms, very mild, mild, moderate, or severe. And if that number was over 10%, you would conclude, based upon their own hypothesis, that the children are already getting enough fluoride from some of the other sources that Kim mentioned. And there was no need to give them any more. That would be sensible and it would be scientific. Now there's even more reason to do something like that because the CDC has reported in 2010 that 41% of all American children aged 12 to 15 now have dental fluorosis. That's four times the expected frequency of dental fluorosis in a Florida community. This is the average of all American children, and 8.6% um, of those children had mild dental fluorosis, which is 50% of the enamel surface being impacted. 3.6% of all American kids aged 12 to 15 had moderate or severe dental fluorosis, where 100% of the enamel is impacted. And I've met children with these conditions, and believe you me, they do not want to smile. They tend not to open their mouths on their first dates. It's clearly having causing embarrassment and even psychological distress. Wouldn't you think that before they started this, they would have established what the dental decay rates were in Portland? and you, they would have dis, determined the dental fluorosis rates in Portland. No, they haven't done any of that. They just used PR machinery, and three people, three people are going to vote this in. Well, they so, would have done that if they were being honest about it, but of course they're not being honest, which is uh, very much how this entire operation is proceeding. That's right. I want to just chime in and say that the reason I got involved in the fluoride issue is because I'm a mother, and my son was five years old when the Basson study out of Harvard came out and showed a correlation um, between osteosarcoma rates in boys between the ages of five and ten that were drinking fluoridated water. It was a very good study, um, and the methodology was impeccable. And uh, it, it was very alarming to me as a mother and as a lawyer and as a scientist and a researcher. And um, that's why I got involved in this issue in the first place. And the more that I read and the more that I learn, the more that I'm concerned, and I am really um, concerned about the PR, the public relations machine that is behind this, that the... You know, we, we hear that 
the, all these organizations, all these white coat people are behind this effort and it must be good because my dentist says it's great and so on. And I really encourage people to research this for yourself, please, and don't just believe what you're told because there's a big money campaign behind this and um, you need to decide for yourself. That's exactly right. And no one can really dispute that type of argument. People need to to be aware of what the research is and what it indicates and to make their own decisions based on that. And that applies for everyone across the country and around the world who's listening right now who may or may not be facing this in their own water supply. As, uh, of course, it's different in every municipality and people have to understand what's happening in their own backyard. So I hope that people will be doing that. And when we come back from this next break, we can uh, talk a little bit about how people in Portland or people who know people who are in Portland can hopefully get involved. Uh, There's still some events and things that are happening between now and Wednesday that hopefully can shape some of this discourse. So let's talk a little bit about that when we come back from the break. Again, talking to Dr. Paul Conant of the Fluoride Action Network, fluoridealert.org, and Kimberly Kaminsky of Oregon Citizens for Safe Drinking Water. And once again, more information about this specifically can be found at cleanwaterportland.org. You're tuned into Corporate Report Radio. We're going to take a short breather, but we'll be right back to finish up with tonight's episode. All right, friends, welcome back. This is Corbett Report Radio. Here we are in the final few minutes of tonight's broadcast, once again talking to Dr. Paul Conant and Kimberly Kaminsky about what is happening right now in the city of Portland as it fights for its uh, right to not fluoridate its water, which it has so far enjoyed and unfortunately may be going under as early as this Wednesday. So let's talk about what people in Portland can be doing about this and uh, what, uh, what events might be coming up that people can get involved in there. Right on. So, James, I want to say that we're not going down. This is this fight is not over. The people of Portland have spoken on this issue, and we are we are passionate about our drinking water, and um, it's not a done deal. And um, I want to encourage everyone to visit our website, Clean Water Portland. Dot org and sign up so that you can get involved and you know what to do. Um, this is, we are so passionate about our water. We have some of the best drinking water in the world and we want to encourage everyone who cares about this to get involved. And I'd like to encourage everybody who lives in the Portland area to come tomorrow night, I think it's at 7 o'clock at the Unitarian Church in downtown Portland, where I'm giving a presentation, a full PowerPoint presentation, explaining why this is a very bad idea. Originally, we had challenged the proponents, these PR spin machines, to debate the issue, one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, if they wanted, but they refused. Uh, They prefer to have a solo platform and, of course, working behind closed doors and so on. They can't debate it because they just don't have the science. You ain't got a thing if you don't have that 
science. science. <laughs> I don't know if that has quite the same <laughs> swing to it, but... Uh, <laughs> no, it's not the same right. <laughs> oh, well, all right. Okay, well, I, I, I think that that's, uh, that's a plan of action, at least for people in the area. What about people nationally? Is there any way that they can add their voice to this mix? Absolutely. I would like to encourage, again, cleanwaterportland.org. Um, we are working on a national level, not only on the Portland level, but we are working to help cities across the country that are working to not only keep this out of their water, but to get it out of their water. And I think that as more people get involved and they understand the science and they understand the issue, that they realize that they do not want this in their drinking water. And if they want to buttress their concerns and, and their information, go to an inconvenient tooth, an inconvenient tooth.org, an excellent uh, videotape, albeit long, it's an excellent videotape with lots of good interviews. Don't be frightened of fast forwarding at certain places. I'm on it for far too long, but there are many <laughs> other good, there are many other good people on it. Excellent. Well, as I say, I will be putting all of the links to all of these resources in the show notes for tonight's episode for anyone who missed them. So uh, if you want to go to CorbettReport.com slash radio, you can get all of these links and you can find out more about this issue specifically. So uh, Dr. Conant and Kimberly Kaminsky, thank you so much for your time tonight. And thank you, James, very, very much. You're doing fantastic work. Thank you. Good night. Uh, yes, absolutely. All right. Okay, so there they go, folks. It is, uh, once again, fluoridealert.org and cleanwaterportland.org and inconvenienttooth.org. Uh, lots of different websites there. I hope people will check into that. And once again, this is an issue that's affecting Portland specifically right now, but affects almost uh, pretty much every other major city in the United States. So I hope people are informing themselves on the science behind this and getting involved at their own local level to try to get the fluoride out of the water supply because it can work and it has worked in the past. But that's going to be it for us tonight. So once again, I'm your host, James Corbett, CorbettReport.com, thanking you for joining me and hoping that you will join me again tomorrow night as we continue exploring some of these matters, these issues that really matter and that aren't talked about on the mainstream media. So until then, Thank you for listening. Have a great night.